0: good morning, church family. We're glad you are here uh, today. Let's, uh, let's stand together as we open and worship.
1: and on the clouds kings and kingdoms will bow down and every chain will break his broken hearts declare his faith who can stop the Lord Almighty our God is the Lion, the Lion of Judah he's roaring with power and fighting our battles, and every knee will bow before Him. And our God is the Lamb, the Lamb that was slain for the sin of the world, His blood breaks the chains, and every knee will bow before the Lion and the Lamb. Oh, every knee will bow before the Lion and the Lamb. Oh mm-hmm.
2: Hope you're doing well. Hope you've had a good weekend and looking forward to this time together. Glad you are here and that we have this this time to draw near to the Lamb of God, to the King of kings and Lord of lords. And so here at Faith Family, He is the Lord and He is why we are here. To see Him, to hear from God and to see Christ high and lifted up. There is no remedy for sin, no remedy for the destruction and death in this world, but Christ. And so I hope this morning that you see him, you see Christ high and lifted up. As we look at scripture, we look at uh, who he is and what he has done. And want to extend a welcome to you if you're a visitor and a guest here with us this morning. We're thrilled you are with us. And ask that there is a card right in front of you. If you would grab that, share some information with us that we can uh, reach out and contact you. Uh, we'll not contact you every day and pepper you with a bunch of a bunch of spam, uh, but just to have the opportunity to reach out and and uh, be able to see if there's anything we can do, pray for you, answer questions for you, if you'd give us that opportunity. We would greatly appreciate that. Uh, so if you would fill that out, drop that in the offering basket on your way out uh, this morning. would greatly appreciate that. All right. So by way of announcement, some things we've talked about, but just to mention them again at the end of this month, we will uh, next Sunday collect um, school supplies for foster children and foster families. And so those are due back this next Sunday, next week. And will be distributed the 30th, which is a Saturday in two weeks. And uh, we'll invite you to come be part of that as those will be handed out uh, that morning, the 30th, uh, in, in a few weeks. And so I want to pray for that and encourage you to pray uh, as you collect those things and bring them next weekend. Uh, that you would pray specifically over them and over the children that those will go with and those families Uh, who are a part of those foster kids and also uh, the families those children come from. And so I want to encourage you uh, to be in prayer as we do it. It's not just objects and items and bringing them together and giving benevolently, but this is a spiritual opportunity uh, to give and supply a need that the gospel would be known and Christ would be known uh, through, through these needs being met. And so I want to encourage you to join me in prayer there and also uh, that Saturday the 30th as as those are given out. Okay? Awesome. Let's look at our scripture that we've been memorizing from Isaiah 6 and uh, look at this verse and uh, then we'll pray and we'll continue in worship. Okay? So let's look at it once. If you would recite out loud uh, with me this verse. And I said, woe is me. For I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts, Isaiah 6, 5. So I want to skip to the end. His eyes have seen, he says, the Lord of hosts, the King. It's what we see in Scripture. Scripture is God's revelation to us that he has given us so that when we read it, it is God's word to us. And so when we hear of what God has done, it's the same God who's still alive and still revealing to us. And so as we look at what he has inspired, like like Isaiah, who was before God's presence, we see God in his word. And so I hope that as we look at the King, the Lord this morning, that you would, you would respond to him and see him as he is revealed in his word, that you would echo the same as Isaiah did, that we would echo the same of the King, the Lord of glory. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you. I thank you, Lord, for your scripture, your word that you've delivered and preserved for us, God of these people who lived and you inspired to write their experience and witness to what you did in their lives and that God, Isaiah's story and his call comes to us. And so, Father, I ask that, Lord, in our lives this morning that we would hear from you, we would see you in your word, we, God, would would hear of who you are and that, Lord, you would reveal clearly to us You, the King of glory, the Lord of all hosts, God, would you open our eyes this morning? May we see you. God, would you direct us? Direct us for, Lord, the changes needed in our lives as, Lord, we would come to you in repentance and faith, trusting in your Son, Jesus. And so, Lord God, would you be with uh, us this morning and also, Lord, the uh, the foster families, we are seeking to support and trust that, Lord, as you have brought them to us, these needs before us, that, God, you, Lord, would use these objects and these materials to meet needs, that, Lord, you would be exalted through it. You would be glorified through these school supplies, and that, God, Lord, these, these kids, these children would see you. They would see the free gift of Christ through these, these objects, and so, Father, would you use us in a few weeks, not only in giving, but also meeting and talking to and building relationships with people. That, God, you would use those opportunities, those times of interaction for your glory. You would use them that your your gospel would be known and that people would would come to know you. And so, Father, would you use us and guide us this morning? Would you speak to us? Lord, would you... Be with Dr. 2 and fill him, Lord, with your word, that your spirit would direct him, Lord, in rightly dividing your truth and proclaiming you, Lord. We thank you and ask these things in the name of Son, Jesus. Amen.
0: Amen. Let's stand as we continue to aim and point our worship toward the King, the Lord of hosts.
1: to see. we yeah. i
0: Father, you are good. God, you are so gracious. What a wonderful mystery that you would send your Son for us to pay the price for our sin, hanging there on a cross in victory when it looked like defeat, it was victory. Lord, thank you. God, help us to remember in whatever circumstance we may be in that we have a loving creator, a heavenly father, God, that we have forgiveness of sin and that we can have joy in that situation. So, Lord, thank you. God, I pray for Dr. Two as he comes to bring the word. Lord, that you will speak through him. God, that your spirit would give him the words to say so that we can leave this building better equipped to be your church, to love those around us. Father, we love you and we praise you. In your name we pray. Amen.
3: Good morning, church. Uh, That squeal probably was my fault. Uh, There, I didn't know I was going to go here. So the laws of God are immutable. Do you all know that? Everything, you know, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, uh, Psalms 24.1. And that means that God's laws are immutable. In fact, you don't break God's laws. Do you know that? You don't break God's laws. God's laws can break you. Um, and uh, as we just saw, you can't get around the laws of physics. I mean, God established it that way, and so when I turned this mic on, before he turned that mic off, we set off this um, little example of how, Im- un- how immutable God's laws are, and isn't it a good thing that they are? I want you to find in your Bibles a couple of passages of Scripture we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 6 today, so please find Romans chapter 6 in your Bibles. <clears throat> I'll do the same, not John, and uh, we will, uh, but, but do take um, an extra ribbon or a piece of paper or something and uh, find Psalm 116, Psalm 116, and find the little book of Jude. First, second, third, John, Jude, Revelation. Find the little book of Jude uh, and, uh, and place something there. We'll need those toward the end of the service today. Romans chapter six. Again, I invite you, if you are physically able, to stand in reverence of the reading of God's Word and as we look at the first few verses of Romans chapter six. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? May it never be. By no means. Perish the thought. (laughs) How can we who died to sin live in it? Do you not know or don't you know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death so that as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we certainly will be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self is crucified with him so that the sinful body might be destroyed and we might no longer be enslaved to sin. For he who has died is free from sin. But if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. For we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So that you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. Do not yield your members to sin as instruments of wickedness, but yield yourselves to God as men who have been brought from death to life, and your members of God as instruments of righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Join me one more time in prayer, our gracious God. Your word is eternal, it proclaims truth beyond error, it's absolute, and we want to claim that today. We all submit ourselves today, starting with me, as simply uh, conduits through which your spirit can flow, vessels that clearly are flawed, but you choose to... (laughs) You choose to use us anyway. Praise be God. So so let us see you today. Let us hear your word today. Uh, uh, make its way through my stuttering and stammering and you proclaim to your people the words of truth. I pray this in the gracious name of Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. Keep your Bibles open as I said to Romans chapter 6 and we'll look there in, in a few moments. I, I, I've got to admit that in reflecting on uh, our service last week, and, and it was wonderful. You were a gracious, uh, a gracious congregation, especially someone who's new. See, too many times um, I, I have gone into churches, and I thought I was speaking to God's frozen people and not their chosen people. Um, but but you were very engaging, and I could tell from where you were and what you were doing and the way you were. You don't know this, but let me give you this clue, especially as you're on the cusp of God's new person coming here and I've already told you God has chosen that person it's your job to get in touch with God so that you can know what God is doing Uh, but let me give you a clue about your new pastor you the congregation the people of God you hold the key to the proclamation of the word okay you give your pastor permission to preach or not it is just that simple and I want to thank you for what you did for me last week and what I sense you're going to do again today, but as I reflected upon that i i admit i, I felt a bit felt a bit uneasy um, about uh about matters uh, as uh, as we as I left you, I was a bit troubled about that you know we I, I told you that I wanted to look at scripture about about your new pastor there's a wonderful passage about leadership in uh in the um, uh, in the uh, Old Testament, and you know the Bible says more about leader development than it does leadership development, and I was just so excited about making that application for you about your new pastor. Uh, I told you that there are things you, as the church, need to be doing, especially now, and, and I'd love to look at that, uh, at that passage with you uh, from oddly enough, the list of long names in Romans chapter sixteen, and, and I've not gotten that opportunity, um, because when we came to the lord's table, that was just too good of an opportunity. And so we looked at, at 1 Corinthians chapter 11 together last week to, to see that Paul was telling the church at Corinth and telling us through the work of the Holy Spirit that we've got to look back to the sacrifice that Jesus made. And in that process, even painfully if necessary, look within to where we are. So that those things then position us to look forward until Christ returns, and we can continue to proclaim with, with openness and integrity and forcefulness the things uh, the, the things that are to come, and and, and what Jesus's life saving gospel is all about. But I'll admit the the way that sermon kind of unfolds, it just got a little heavy, didn't it? Uh, you know, when you get when you get to looking seriously at look within to what happens, our, our concept of, of, of sin and what we're engaged in became the subject of that, of that conversation. It, it led us into this whole line of thinking about are we systematically abusing grace in the process of how we live our lives, which is acting presumptuously upon the love of God. You've got to understand that. When you as God's child say, hey, I'm going to do it anyway, what you're doing is pushing the limit. Now, now you've had children, you've had grandchildren, don't do such and such, okay? Um, I haven't told any Elise stories, so I've got one I have to tell. Um, and, And when she was our first child, there was something we did not need her to do, and we said, do not do it. And she looked at us, and she did it. She wanted to see what would happen. You know, it's the way, that's just the way it works. You know, you, you, push those, you push those limits. I forgot why I was telling that story. Oh, you know, we, we presume upon the goodness and kindness of God that God's not going to do what God says he's going to do, okay? And, and we, we helped a young toddler know, yes, mom, and dad are going to do what they said they were going to do, but so does God, okay? The wrath of God will come upon us. I don't know, y'all must have great Sunday school classes. I've only been to one and, and Wyatt does a wonderful job. And we were on the wrath of God a little bit this morning. There's this great definition and I've got to get back to the notes or we will be here all day. Uh, the wrath of God is the judicious application of the consequences of attempting <laughs> to live contrary to the laws of God. I said a minute ago, you don't break God's laws, God's laws break you. And so what happens, we go out here and we attempt to live contrary to the laws of God, we will reap those consequences. And we talked about that last week. You can pick your sins, but you can't pick your consequences. And so all that got just kind of a little bit heavy. But it's because we're living, we're living in a society where culture has told us, church, just hush up about that sin stuff because we don't want to hear it anymore. Now go go turn on your computers and, and read this term and get familiar with it because we live it every day and it's called cancel culture and the church has been silenced. If you speak out against something that's wrong, it's hate speech. And cancel culture has silenced us. That's why that, that that's why we even we have grown somewhat ambivalent about about uh, about sin. We've got comfortable with it. We don't call it out. And before long, the words of Jeremiah in 6:15 and 8:12 not only can be spoken of, of Judah in the, eighth, in the sixth century, they can be spoken of us when Jeremiah said, "They don't even know how to blush anymore. Are we a people who've forgotten how to blush? Because nothing shocks us. That, that's just kind of where we are. And I'm thinking, man, I, I'm sorry, right back where I was. I was trying to say to you, all that was last week and not this week. And here I go again. Um, you're probably ready to quote Ronald Reagan's famous quote, uh, 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 campaign speech with Jimmy Carter. There you go again. <laughs> um, well, I'm sorry. But um, uh, it, it's just true. That's the context in which we live, that's, that's where we, we uh, find ourselves. So today, I wanted to give you the other side of the coin, and I'm going to. Today I wanted to talk about not so much our nature of sin, but what God has done in us so that we are for, forgiven, not only forgiven of that, but freed from that is what the text says. So that we are completely freed and we can have victory over sin. We can actually have victory over sin and live lives that are sinless day to day. Now, that sounds somewhat heretical. I know only Jesus was sinless. I'm not saying that you can go back and turn back the time, clocks of time and everything, you've never done anything wrong. Now, God has forgiven you of that, and God treats you as though you've never done anything wrong. But today forward, you can live without sin. Why do I say that? Because Scripture says that. And what we what we read just a moment ago. So I want to look at the flip side of that. You know the passage of Scripture. I won't turn to it in Galatians chapter six verse seven. You know this passage about uh, sowing and reaping. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. If from the flesh he shows sows corruption, he will reap corruption. You you, you know you know that passage, and, and we somehow get stuck in in, in that issue of sowing those things that are wrong. And and we have to stop and ask ourselves, why in the world is sin so appealing? And the answer is because it feels good. Let's be honest with each other. Sin is enjoyable, hear me, for a moment. For a moment. If it wasn't, none of us would be dumb enough to do it, would we (laughs) You know, none of us would be. I know this is true from just common sense. None of us would do this. I also know that sin is pleasurable from Scripture. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 24 and 25, talking about Moses, rather than being counted as as Pharaoh's daughter, what did he do? He identified with the suffering of his people, here it is, rather than knowing the pleasures of sin for a season. Scripture says sin is pleasurable. And so we get into this horrible cycle of of sowing to corruption, knowing that we're going to reap corruption. It's like we live Sunday, I mean Monday, Monday through Saturday, sowing our wild oats, and then we come to church on Sunday and start praying for a crop failure. Okay? You know, we don't want to get what we deserve. Paul said, Paul says, you don't have to, because you can live a sinless life, all right? All that to set up Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Now, simple outline here, uh, and I'll give it to you in advance. There are three eyes, excuse me, there are three nose, there are three nose <laughs> in these passages Corresponding with three eyes, don't you know? In verse three, we are knowing. In verse six, and we have always known. In verse nine, all right, and those correspond. Those nose correspond to three eyes, and those three eyes are. <coughs> excuse me. Those three eyes are our um, identity. <laughs> it, I, it helps um, our identity. I would have gotten to it. I I, uh, I heard um, what was his name. Great pulpeteer, R.G. Lee. I said one time in a sermon when I was trying to reference R.G. Lee, Robert E. Lee, and I, you know, I obviously was wrong. Uh, I heard R.G. Lee, great Southern Baptist pulpeteer, say one time he never preached with notes, and someone asked him, would you ever forget where you are? He said, oh, sure. Well, what do you do? I just keep talking until I remember where I was, and then he added, that's why the older I get, the longer I preach. <laughs> um, so at any rate, I'd forgotten my first I, and it was up there for me. Three knows, don't you know, we are knowing, we have always known. Three eyes, identity, intellect, excuse me, identity, inclination, and, and, and intellect. Okay? Let's look at those and see how we can live a sinless life. You know, Jesus told us, Scripture told us, tells us three times in Leviticus and once in First Peter, be holy as your Father is holy. Do you think God would tell us to do something if we couldn't do it? Think scripture would direct us to do something if we couldn't do it? Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, be perfect because your Father is perfect. You think Jesus would have told his disciples to do that if they couldn't do it? So John's John. We're not going to do anywhere in John. So if I say John today, I'm out of my mind. We're not talking about John. Paul in Romans gives us exactly what to do, and it begins in chapter 3, chapter 6, uh, verse 3. Don't you know? that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into death. We were buried with him in baptism. Heard this phrase before? Buried with him in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. And he makes the argument, if we've been buried with him in a death like his, certainly we'll be raised with him in a resurrection like his. The word for baptized means to completely submerge something. It's an old laundry analogy. Um, any of you ladies ever or men ever use rit? Dye rid, die, R-I-D, R-I-T. What is it? R-I-D, D, -D. T, T, Rit. (laughs) So I had to be a pilgrim in first grade and the only thing I had was gray pants and had to have black pants and Mama couldn't go buy black pants so she um, dyed my gray pants, black pants and I was only the pilgrim that left a trail of black ink across the stage. uh, you, you, You put the cloth into the dye It goes in one thing, it comes out another. That's the analogy that Paul's making about, don't you know that when you've been baptized with Christ, you've been completely changed, completely changed. And and so what happens, if we have been buried with him in a death like his, certainly we've been raised, resurrected in a life like his. And just as Jesus lives holy and perfect in tune with the Father so you can live holy and perfect in tune with the Father. Why? Because of what the last part of Galatians uh, 6, 7, and 8 says. All right? Sow to the Spirit and you'll reap the Spirit. What does the last part of it say? But if you I just said it, didn't I? <laughs> but if you sow to the Spirit, through the Spirit you'll reap eternal life. We can do those things. That bring honor and glory to God and keep us in perfect harmony and union with the Father, so that we can live a life that's perfect and complete. All right, our identity is set and fixed in what God did, and we don't have to sin anymore. Our identity can get confused on, on this plane, but never on the eternal plane. And so, I've got to get you starting to think about these two, these two issues, these two things. We're living here. We're living here, but we're operating here. And so these two concepts, these two planes, these two places where we are, we live in a place that we're playing by rules that the rest of the world doesn't understand. Okay? And we can get confused down here, but never in our eternal hope, never in our identity. We went to Walmart one day. In Selma, it was the old Walmart before they put in the super Walmart. We, we would take the kids, and this was an outing. <laughs> it was an outing when we got to go to Walmart for Marion. Uh, and we'd divide and conquer, wouldn't we, darling? And we'd split up, and I'd take some of the kids, she'd take some of the kids. We'd divide up the list, and off we'd go, because nobody wants to spend all day long at, at Walmart. I was pastor of a small church, Pine Flat Baptist Church. And a young couple in the church, Harriet and Alan, had children, girls our age. And, and Harriet showed up with the three girls, Kaylee, Lauren, and Mallory. Which one was the youngest one? Lauren. Kaylee, Mallory, Lauren. <laughs> and, um, and so we chatted a minute as we were getting started. Well, everybody wanted to go to Anne, And who can blame them? I mean, she just has this dynamic personality. Uh, and uh, the, uh, so it ended up. Um Harriet kept the ba- baby, Lauren, and all five girls went with Ann. This was my dream day. I mean, you know, here I am in Walmart with a list with no kids. Um, and so uh, and, and so off we went. Harriet only had the baby, and I didn't have anybody. So obviously kind of Harriet and I finished our list pretty quickly. And as luck would have it, we met back up at the checkout about the same time. Well, you know, being a gentleman, I said, well, Harriet, you go first. And she did, and she rang up all of her purchases. She opened her purse to get out her billfold, and she just turned white as a sheet and said, oh, no. Girls were playing with my purse in the car, and I bet they got my billfold out. And then she panicked again, and I left the doors unlocked and the windows down. I don't know why she did that. I left the doors unlocked and the windows down. She thrust the baby in my arms and ran out the door, okay, well, you know, no sooner had she, no sooner had she gotten out of the store, and came whizzing by with all five of her kids, and said, the girls have uh, of Harriet's billfold, zoom, off she went, this would have been solved if she had just given me the billfold, but uh, you know, off she went, So I took out my checkbook. You know, there was getting to be a line. I wrote the check. I paid for Harriet's groceries. I knew she'd pay me back. Uh, You know, I pushed mine through. We rang up my side of the groceries. I wrote a check. We pushed them aside. I went back to help Ann because obviously she needed help, right? Well, no sooner had I left the front of the store, (laughs) in comes Harriet, not knowing what all the rest of us, including the checkout clerk, knew, and that was that the lost wallet had been found. Okay, and so the young clerk, very gentle, obviously, you know, trying to be helpful. It's okay," she said. "Calm down, talking to Harriet. Your daughter has your purse, and your husband has your baby." That's what she said. Well, Harriet was glad that the purse had been found, um, but uh, thought she'd better correct this misunderstanding. It's just, oh, thank you. And then added, but he's not my husband. Okay, thought the lady behind the checkout stand, obviously fresh off of Walmart sensitivity training. Uh, She said, uh, okay, your daughter has your purse, and your man has got your baby. This really upset her, as you can imagine. No, she proclaimed, he's my pastor. I don't know why she went there. But the little girl said, all right, sugar, so the preacher's your man. I never went back in that store. All right. We can get confused down here. Things can go wrong down here. Our identity can be unknown or mistaken down here. One day as a seven-year-old child, I accepted Jesus Christ into my heart. He forgave me of my sins. He set me on a path. And my name was written down in the Lamb's Book of Life. And that identity issue was fixed and doesn't change. And that identity says, if you've been buried with him in baptism a death like his, you can be resurrected with an exact life like his, like is, And you don't have to sin anymore. You don't have to sin anymore. Well, let's move on this quickly though that's identity look at it in verse 6 where it says where we get to uh, uh, inclination we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the sinful body might be destroyed and we might no longer be what do you see it there no longer be enslaved to sin see that's what we were before in our unregenerate nature we had no choice but to sin okay no choice unregenerate nature, we're gonna sin. We were obligated to sin. But we're freed now. Don't you know that your identity is in Christ. And we are knowing, we are knowing that when we died, that our old self was crucified and the sinful body was destroyed. Now there's two words there that are misleading. And they're the words old and destroyed. I need to explain them a little. It's two different words for old in the New Testament that 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 Paul could have used. One means chronological age. All right, two weeks ago, the week before last Sunday, um, I helped my daughter paint her house, my middle daughter paint her house. And, you know, you have to get on the ground and you have to do all the trim on the bottom and then you have to get on the ladder and you have to cut it in on the top. And, And by the time we'd painted that entire inside of that house, I felt old, okay? I felt old. I hurt in places I didn't know I could hurt. That's not the word Paul uses. The word Paul uses here is obsolete. Obsolete. It it means that the design of something has progressed beyond its intent. Now, I got a lot of tools like that uh, 99.9% of the time, I use my cordless battery drill. <laughs> right, guys? Okay. Um, how does Tim Taylor do that thing? <laughs> I don't know. I use my cordless power drill. Once in a blue moon, I will use my electric wired drill, and then I have to stop and go find the chuck and all this because you know you don't need those things with a chuckless uh, a battery drill, do you? And just you and you're done. <laughs> But I have in my collection, it's this thing, and it has a crank on it, and it has a big wheel and a gear here, and it has another big wheel of gear here, and it has a drill down built, and you do this. You know what? Never use it. Never use it. Why? Because it's obsolete. i got a battery-powered weed eater. I've got a gas-powered weed eater. And I've got a sling blade, and I'm not talking about the movie. Okay? raise your hand if you've ever used a sling blade, all right? There's a half a dozen people in here or more. (laughs) Man, who created that thing? Why in the world would you use a sling blade when you've got a battery-powered, gas-powered weedier at your disposal? And, And what Paul is saying is that the old man, that your design which made you sin, is obsolete. It it, it doesn't have to function anymore. In fact, that's the next word. Instead of being destroyed, the better word to use is is, um, inoperable. You know, we hate, that's the second word we want to hear, the the least word we want to hear after the word cancer is inoperable, right? You you know, because it just won't work anymore. It won't work anymore. And that's what Paul's saying about our old bodies, uh, the, the sinful nature that we have, the sinful flesh that we have. It's been rendered obsolete by the identity that Christ has given us, and we don't have to give in anymore. We don't have to sin any more. But you try to take an old, obsolete thing and make it work right and what's going to happen? You're going to bust knuckles. You're going to um, uh, revert to your <laughs> the language that you've given up long time ago. <laughs> Have you ever tried to take the claw of a claw hammer and turn it into a screw and turn the screw? I've actually tried that once. I had nothing else to do. Um, it doesn't work. But what will happen to you? You can jot this down and read it later. Deuteronomy twenty, verse twenty-eight, verse twenty. You know, we looked at all those curses and blesses last week. And I'll admit, even myself, we kind of scoff at that. You know, God's not going to send the locusts anymore. Uh, You know, God's not going to, I'm not going to, all those things aren't going to, go read 2820 because it says God will send the curses, confusion, and frustration in all your endeavors. Now, if you're a child of God, who has ever stepped out of the will of God, you know firsthand confusion and frustration in all your endeavors. You know what it feels like. You know how bad it feels. Nothing works anymore. Things that ought to be simple just aren't simple. Stuff that ought to bring joy doesn't bring joy. Because even though your identity is new and fixed in Christ, you're yielding yourself to something that's obsolete and has been rendered inoperable. <laughs> but the beauty of it is we don't have to do it anymore. And so Paul's going to say that again uh, in verse uh, in, in, in verse 9. Is, is again in verse 9, he says, uh, We have always known that Christ was raised uh, from the dead, I will never die again. Death no longer has dominion of him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives for God. So you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. And Paul used the exact same argument in verse 9 through 12 as he would used back in 6, 7, and 8. And I've always wondered why. You know, why? I know repetition is a good thing in education, but come on, Paul. We've we got to, you know, we got to try to understand this stuff. And then I realized he changed the word for No. Two different words for know. One of them, the the word that he used back in verse 6 when he said, don't you know? And then he said in verse 6, we are knowing. He used the word for our experiential knowledge. The stuff that we know because we do it every day. You know, been there, done that, fill in the phrase, got the t-shirt. Okay, we know it because we do it. And Paul said in verse 6, we know because we've experienced it that our old man has been, our obsolete man has been rendered inoperable. We know that because all of us have had those moments of victory, haven't we? Okay? Just like we've all known those confusion and frustration in all of our endeavors, every child of God can go back and say, man, that was great. Those were wonderful times. The spirit flowed, I understood God, we were working together. So you've known that victory. And so Paul says in verse 9, we are, uh, uh, in verse 6, we we know those things because we've experienced them. He says in verse 9, we know those things because of our intellect. We also know it's true because of our intellect. And he says to us, you win victory over sin in the mind first and let me just rush to my punchline, your body has never done anything, your flesh has never done anything that your mind didn't tell it to do, just that simple, just that simple, and so Paul makes this same argument that that we are, uh, that, that, you know, Christ has been changed, our identity is fixed, and we don't have to We don't have to do this anymore. He gives a beautiful example of this in chapter 7. I told you to keep your Bibles open to 6 and and turn the page to chapter 7, just a couple of quick verses there. Look at what he says in chapter 7. Paul's being very autobiographical in this area. And beginning in verse 15, he says this. I do not, 715, you got it? I do not understand my own actions. Can I get a testimony? (laughs) Can I get an amen on that? Uh, I I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Sounds like he must have been a golfer. I I gave up golf a long time ago because the very thing I tried to do, I couldn't do, and the things I didn't want to do, I always did. (laughs) Turn your club face open, I'd close it. (laughs) I'd try to close it, it'd be open. You know, it's beyond me. Somebody, a golfer here, you you know, y'all figured it out, I haven't. Paul says, I can't do what I want to do. Verse 15. Now, if I do what I don't want, I agree that the law is good, explaining what sin is. So then it is no longer I that do it, but sin which dwelleth in me. For I know that nothing good dwells within me that is in my flesh. I can will what is right, but I can't do it. Now, let me give you a little illustration about what Paul's talking about when he says that he that, um, uh, uh, uses this word in 18. Nothing good dwells within me that is within my flesh. Let me give you a really good illustration about the, the sin dwelling in the flesh, okay? And here it is. Uh, one day it was, you know, we're almost ready to go back to school, right? We're getting ready to do the school supply things and we missed the tax-free holiday th- and uh, with everybody else on the planet. And, and so um, um, Anne had to go get the kids ready for school. She said, okay, I'll take the kids. It's another divide and conquer story. I'll take the kids to get them ready for school. You stay here, you know, clean the house, you know, clean all the toilets, mop all the floors, uh, you know, do all the laundry that had piled up, you know, and anything else you need to do. Uh, Right, like I'm going to get my stuff in that list. So, So she left and off I started, and I did them all. I did it all. I, I, I don't like to cut my grass until the dew dries off of it. So I got all the house scrubbed and mopped and cleaned and it just everything was perfect. And then I went outside and I mowed and I edged and I put away the tools. And I had some times where I washed the cars. I mean, it was a great day. I was getting a lot done. After a while, I was kind of tired. right? And so I went in. It's about time for the Alabama game to come on. And I sat down, started watching a little football game. In walks in. I hadn't sat down all day long. She hadn't sat down all day long either. <laughs> you know, she's hassled, The kids are hazled. Um, r- r- hazled. R- razzled, thank you. Um, uh, put the wrong, the emphasis on the wrong syllable there, didn't it? And, and so obviously tensions were high. She just walked in the door, our, our, our TV room was the back door room, so she hadn't gotten in to see that the house was clean and all that. And, and she said, what's on TV? <laughs> it just flew all over me. All right, guys, you know, if you lived with your, life, wives, lived with your wives long enough, you know, you can read the subtext, you, know, you can hear subtext. And she didn't say, what are you watching? She said, what in the world are you doing sitting down? When I've been working on my, you know, working with these kids all day long, I'm beat. I'm tired. I've drugged them all over. You know, Clara won't buy anything. <laughs> uh, our middle daughter. It was so hard to shop for her. What's on TV? You know what I said? Dust. That wasn't my finest moment. We don't. Um, We don't care if you sign your name in the dust on our furniture. We just ask for the courtesy that you don't put a date by it. That's a little embarrassing. All right. Now, so here's dust. Have you ever gotten rid of dust in your house? You can dust. I could have dusted that morning, and it would have been dusty by the time she walked in. You dust, you mop, you swiffer, you do all those things. And a day later, you walk in, the sun's shining through the room, and you think, my stars, I just dusted this. Where did all this come from? And that is sin dwelling in your old body, okay? Paul said, I know nothing good dwells within me that is within my flesh. It just takes up residence like dust. And it's just always there. It's always there, but 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 what does Paul say ab- about it? What does Paul say about this constant indwelling, uh, uh, th- this constant presence of sin dwelling within our old bodies, which we've already established are obsolete? and they've been rendered inoperable. But what does Paul say about them staying there? Look at it, continue in verse 19. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want is what I do. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it a law. Little, little no, no article, so it's not talking about the Ten Commandments. I, I, I find it to be a axiom, I find it to be objective truth. Okay, that's what he's saying when he uses the word law. I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at the hand. Listen to his frustration in point 2. For I delight in the law of God. Now that's the big L. I delight in the law of God in my inmost self, but I see in my members another law at war with what? Look at it there. Look at it in your text. Making me at law <laughs> another law at war with the Law of my mind. (laughs) Making me captive to the law of sin and death, which is in my members. There is a battle. There is a battle between our inclination to sin, back in verse 6, and our intellectual command over sin in verses 9. And Paul says there's this constant struggle Making me captive to the law of sin. And look at it as he goes on. What can deliver me from this body of death? Is that what it says in verse, um, um, in verse 24? Wretched man that I am, who can, excuse me, wretched man that I am, what can deliver me? I already messed up my little emphasis there. Uh, you, know, you know, how can I be delivered? What system can deliver me? That's not what it says in verse 24, is it? You see it there. Wretched man that I am, who, who can deliver me? Thanks be to God, it's Jesus Christ. And that's just one of those amen, hallelujah moments in Scripture, y'all. Jesus Christ, we've been buried with Him in death. We're raised with Him in life. We've been given a new identity. Our inclination is to sin, but we're not, in, we, you know, we may be inclined to sin, but we're no longer obligated to sin. And because of, because of the mind that God gives us, we can hold sin, our, our old bodies, our inoperable, obsolete bodies, we can hold them at bay. Because we're so good, because I'm so, because I'm so good, no. But because the Holy Spirit dwells within me. And if I say, Jesus Christ, I need you to handle this one today. <laughs> I, I see it coming, God. You take care of it. I, I, it it's just around the bend, God. I, I notice it. I, I know the pattern. I've lived it, Remember? I've experienced it. I've known the frustration. I've known the confusion. I know what's about to happen, God. You do it. You know what? God will do it. Who can deliver me? Thanks be to God as Christ Jesus our Lord. We simply do not have to sin. So real quickly, I want to give you three applications um, of this. Three, Three words, and we're going to put them up on the screen. For you to understand, how do I go about this? Now, Paul's laid the groundwork. we said all these things. We understand what this is. How do, we, how do we do this? The first thing I want to ask you to do is to recognize you're a struggler. Okay. Just recognize we're going to struggle in this. Our old body, we haven't gotten rid of it. The old Adamic nature is still there. And if I don't hold it in check by the law of my mind that God has given me, it's going to rise up again. Okay? It's going to do that. We're a struggler. And I'm convinced of this one fact. If we would tell honestly and candidly, if we would tell the lost and dying world, hey, I'm a struggler too, can I tell you about how Jesus helps me? We'd win the world for Jesus Christ. If we would admit we're struggling too, they'd listen to what we have to say. Okay. First thing is that we need to just acknowledge that we're, we're, we're strugglers and that we have good days, we have bad days. We have victorious moments, we have defeats, but we understand that the identity within us positions us, positions us to succeed. That's the next thing. Position yourselves to have victory. Okay? Position yourself to have victory. Zechariah 4 6, you can jot that down and read it later, says, Not by might nor by power, but by your spirit, O Lord. <laughs> See, that's the key. Position yourself to succeed by saying to the Holy Spirit, look, you've got to carry this freight for me. You've got to be the one doing this for me. Paul said it very plainly in chapter 7, verse 18, that we read just a moment ago. I know that nothing good dwells within me that is in my flesh. I can will what is right. Here it is. But I cannot do it. Position yourself to succeed by acknowledging, first and foremost. <laughs> Position yourself to, to live sinless life by acknowledging that you're a struggler and then position yourself to succeed by by letting God do this. I can't do it myself, but Holy Spirit, you can. Holy Spirit, you can do this. And, and then finally, <laughs> use Scripture. What a novel idea. Church of the living God. It's what Jesus did when he was tempted. Jesus was tempted three times and he quoted Scripture to Satan. Satan had to leave him for a season. See, it's coming back. Remember Arnold Schwarzenegger's famous line, I'll be back. (laughs) You know, sin's coming back. The temptation's coming back. As long as we're on this side of the Jordan River, we're going to struggle. Okay? So quote scripture. Let me give you a couple. Galatians 5, 16. King James Bible is a wonderful translation, but it missed this one. It quoted two commandments. In 5.16, Galatians 5.16, it said, do not uh, uh, walk by the Spirit, commandment number one, do not gratify the desires of the flesh, commandment number two. That's the way King James reads. But it's a simple future. Walk in the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You see that temptation coming? God, I want to walk in the Spirit right now, this moment. I need your Spirit. I'm going to walk in the Spirit, and I know that when I'm walking in the Spirit, I'm not going to gratify the desires of the flesh. This is where I need you to have uh, 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 Psalm 116.8. This is a great verse for your struggles. 168. I have delivered, uh, as it says, he, I'm sorry, he. He, 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 he you. <laughs> the psalmist is speaking to God. You had my pronoun wrong and I knew it. You have delivered my soul from death. Okay, There's salvation. You've delivered my soul from death and my feet from stumbling. And there's victory over sin. And I love this last one. It's it's like the psalmist said, and I can't leave this off, and my eyes from tears because every one of us go back to the confusion and frustration when we let our Lord Jesus down, what happens to us? We weep in bitter tears. Kneeling there in deep contrition, heal my unbelief, the psalmist said. He's delivered our feet from stumbling. You don't have to sin anymore. And, and, and so finally, there's that beautiful benediction in Jude chapter 24, uh, verse 24, Jude. Memorize it, learn it, substitute your name in there for it, okay? And here it is, know to him, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, hear it there, to him. Him who, Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit, God the Father, to him who is what? Maybe, to him who on Tuesdays can, (laughs) to him who, you know, no. He's able. To him who is able to what? Keep you from stuff. And then it gets even better. And what? And present you blameless in the day of Christ Jesus. To him be all honor and glory and praise forever and ever. Amen. You don't have to sin anymore. I don't have to sin anymore. We can live lives every day victorious over sin because of what Jesus Christ has done. Okay? We're going to stand and sing a hymn of imitation, our musicians are going to come and Matthew's going to be here at the front with you. I, I'm serious when I talk about admitting that we're struggling. I struggle just like you do. And, and when we acknowledge that to each other in the church of Jesus Christ, there is a strength there. And you may need to come take your minister's hand and say, pray with me. You don't have to tell them what it's about. God knows. You may feel like you need to. I'm struggling with, and just tell him. He'll keep it confidential. God knows anyway. <laughs> You may say to me today, you know, Brother Mark, I've lived my whole life with that kind of frustration. Because Jesus Christ hasn't changed my identity. Don't wait another day. You may have been in this church for years. Don't wait another day. Accept the forgiveness that only Christ can provide and come down here, take Matthew's hand and say, pray with me. I need to receive Jesus Christ. You you, you may just need to say, I've got a burden for somebody else. Come and pray with him for just a moment. But however God leads, as our ministers speak, you respond to Jesus.